Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas odds maker. And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence. And now, let's get it on. Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence. Hi, everybody. Mark Lawrence once again. And we're all set to go against the spread in this week's college and pro football cards, along with Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, it's that time of the year. The college football bowl games are locked and loaded, and the National Football League is coming down the stretch. You got that right, and we'll be working on the Playbook Bowl publication. That's the Bowl Stat Report uh, for the next few days, and that will be available sometime next week. Uh, an extremely busy weekend for uh, yours truly and for Mark, a nice profitable weekend again. Let me see here, Mark. It was a five-star, I believe. I'm sorry, four-star conference championship game of the year winner for Mark Lawrence. And that was on Kansas State in the Big 12 game. They pretty much dominated the game for the first three quarters. Uh, they let TCU back in the game in the fourth quarter. The game went into overtime. But Mark got his happy ending with Kansas State coming away with the outright underdog win. Nicely done. And if I do my math right, Mark, that means now Mark's college football and NFL four, five, and ten star best bets. Now a perfect eight and O over the last five weeks. Very, very nicely done, Mark. I know your customers are very, very pleased right now, and they're looking forward to a fantastic month of December. Uh, again, I mentioned uh, for my wife Sandy and me a very busy weekend. We spent three days up in Cleveland in the old stomping grounds uh, over the weekend. A long overdue family visit. You know, we have not seen my family up there and mom and dad since well before COVID. So uh, it was a, uh, I needed to touch base and, and, and say hello to my parents and uh, my brothers as well. So a, an extremely busy three days for us up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, Mark, uh, mom and dad are getting old. They, uh, dad is now, what, 93 years old. Mom is 85 years old. Uh, they're having their health issues. They're not in the best, uh, 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 they're, they're not doing well health-wise, but that's kind of understandable given their age. And uh, we needed to see him. We're glad we did. Uh, I didn't bring my computer with me. I didn't have the database with me, so it was kind of a shaky three-day period. But uh, we're back down here now in South Florida. We're glad uh, that we saw them. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to head up there for a couple of days. Victor, I'm glad you were able to see them. I hope you gave them that big hug from Colleen and I. Your parents are as nice of people as we've ever met in our life. They're just true, genuine people. And I'm glad you were able to do that. Let me ask you this question. You mentioned no computer in hand. What was worse, no computer in hand or no cell phone? Uh, it was definitely, I, I had my cell phone with me, but it was not having my uh, laptop computer and our 4D databases right at my fingertips like I normally do on Saturdays and Sundays anyway. That was the toughest part. Kind of uh, made you feel a little bit naked out there. But uh, hey, we're again, we're back down here in South Florida. It's taken me a day or two extra to catch up in fact, the Totals Tip Sheet newsletter came out 24 hours later than it normally does this particular week. 
but uh, no big deal. We're off a nice winning week last week in that particular newsletter, and we're looking forward to a big uh, week 14 in the NFL. Well, let's hope so, Victor. Like I mentioned early on, we're coming down the stretch in the National Football League. We've got all the college football bowl pairings locked and loaded here right now. And maybe in this opening segment here, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of our initial thoughts uh, when we get to the college football bowl games. Uh, We're going to do that in lieu of a college football bowl play this week, because obviously there's only one bowl or one college football game to be talked about. That's the Army-Navy football game. And, Victor, if you want to quickly throw in a couple of two cents about the over-under total in that game, it's rather obvious, but let our listeners know about that over-under total situation, if you would. Right, Mark. You know, by now, all sharp bettors know the fact that we always bet under when the military schools are playing each other. That's the combination of Air Force, Army, and Navy. We always bet the under. Uh, Back in the good old days, we were treated to a line somewhere in the mid to low 40s. For this week's Army-Navy game, the line is already down to 32 points. And yeah, that is a low over-under line. It's really bet the under or lay off the game because, again, when the military teams face each other, we're talking over a 15-year period, 85% of all those games have indeed gone under the total. Yeah, there's that total, Victor. It opens up 33.5 today. It's 32.5. It'll probably be at least 32, if not lower, when they play the game. So the obvious is the under. But the question is, at what point does the value get completely stripped out of a game like that? And I I would say we're probably in that zone here right now uh, for this low total of a football game. Uh, Also, Victor, looking at uh, this bowl card that's coming up here, uh, there's one team that made the bowl games this year that had a losing record. Only one, and uh, I'm mentioning that because it was not because of a COVID situation like we've encountered before in the past. It was simply that we just didn't have enough teams to qualify for all the bowl games that we have, 41 bowl games by my count. Uh, But that one guy, that one lucky guy was Rice, the Rice Owls, who got there by their uh, grades, uh, the the school-level APR grades. Uh, They did a terrific job doing just that. Army would have been next in line. Uh, as far as the grade situation goes. But uh, Army still got a little bit to play for in that Navy game because while they won't go be going bowling, they can at least finish the season 6-6. Six and six. Let me ask you, Victor, about this 2022 college football season that we just enjoyed. What would you categorize as perhaps your most surprising and most disappointing teams this season? Good question. I've got uh, two of each, if I can run them by you. One sure. team I... Uh, on the positive side, uh, I think it was two podcasts ago we talked about the fact that the Connecticut Huskies won their sixth game a couple of weeks ago and are now bowl eligible. Again, the great job by Jim Mora. Six and six on the season for Connecticut, nine and three against the spread. It'll be their first bowl game since the 2015 season. And again, talk about improvement. Here's a team that won only one game last year. They canceled their entire 2020 season because of COVID, two wins in 2018, only one win in 2017. So there you have it uh, with a six-win season in 2022. Again, hats off to the Connecticut Huskies, uh, the independent team that they are. Uh, Another team I want to point out on the positive side, and they did most of their damage late in the season, Mark, but it's the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Oh, yeah. They brought in uh, Shane Rattler from Oklahoma as quarterback. They're 8-4 and four straight up in ATS on the year for South Carolina. 
their best finish since 2017. Uh, big, big underdog wins to close the year against Tennessee and against Clemson. Two teams who could very well have potentially made it to the four-team playoff if they had beaten South Carolina in those two particular games. Again, hats off to Shane Beamer. Uh, each of his last two years, he's really, really elevated that Gamecock program in the sky is definitely the limit for South Carolina. And then, Mark, on the minus side, uh, uh, disappointing teams. Heck, you've ragged on them all season long. Texas A&M, I'm sure, is on your list. You may have something to say about them, that's for <laughs> sure. Uh, but another team I want to throw out there is um, the last place team in the Big 12 Conference, Iowa State, the yep. Cyclones. Four and eight straight up, dead last. They went one and eight in conference play after five straight winning seasons. Matt Campbell's kind of on the hot seat right now, and I truly believe he'll be on the move here in the off season. Uh, they finished the season 0 and three straight up in ATS, and they were outscored 96 to 36. But uh, a bad year for the Cyclones. Well, I have on my list, Victor, my four teams. One of them is, as you mentioned, most disappointing team right at the top of my list. Jimbo Fisher's Aggies from Texas A&M. I mean, what a complete abomination of a season it was for them this year. They came in so hyped up, Victor, from having all these number one ranked recruiting classes. Jimbo Fisher being who he is, you know, are they the new kids in the block in the Southeast Conference? And they laid a dinosaur-like egg this football season here. There was a point in the season when we were past the halfway point and they had not outgained an FBS opponent at that point in the football season. I think they only had two stat wins against FBS opponents all season long. So he's got some a lot of work to do in the offseason to justify that mega contract that he's got here that he's absolutely stealing from the faithful at College Station here. They are number one on my list, my disappointing list. My number two team would be Michigan State out of the Big Ten, a team that last year won 11 football games, and they did not even qualify to go bowling this year. We saw them begin to unravel at the end of the football season last year when they got out to that great start. It might have been uh, 8 or 9-0 and to start the football season. Then they finally took their first loss, and then, like slipping a cotter pin, things started going sour for them at the end of the season last year. We saw it in the stats when they began to get outstatted in their football games all the way out through the end of the season, and it continued here again this year. This football program has got a lot of work to do here to get even close to where they were with that 11-win team uh, two years ago, and I don't think it's going to happen overnight. On the other side, uh, my most surprising two football teams, neither of those that you mentioned here, and I do concur with those that you mentioned, but my two most surprising teams would be, number one, probably perhaps the obvious, TCU. A football team that was a five-win team last year, didn't qualify to go bowling, and ends up 12-1 and in making the college football playoff. What a phenomenal football season for that program this year. And I only hope, and it's not going to happen, but I can, I can hope and dream, in my opinion, Max Duggan should be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. For that accomplishment, if for no other reason, and that performance that he put on in that Kansas State football game and with the drive uh, dominating the whole drive, running the ball personally for 85 yards to get his football team to where it needed to go to be overtime, that was historic. Uh, but he won't do it. Uh, you know, there's obviously too much Caleb Williams uh, prep going on out there. But uh, he's my guy, Max Duggan. And uh, he's also our producer, Greg's guy as well. He's, we've been talking about him all year long. 
My other team on my most surprising list this year is a team that went from two wins last year to 11 wins this year. That's the biggest improvement of a college football program in any one given season. I'm talking about the green wave from Tulane. Uh, the number one team out of the group of five teams, and deservedly so, they did a terrific job this football season here, and they didn't back down the stretch when it looked and appeared that for all intents and purposes they were going to do just that. They didn't. They put, kept their foot on the pedal. They ended up winning their conference. They're in a, a New Year's Day 6 bowl game. Kudos to them. So i got to make Tulane my other surprising team in college football this year. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. We're going over the college and pro football cards. And, Victor, let's hop over to the National Football League side of things and take a look at what happened last week and what we can expect a little bit of this week. And we'll start off with our good friend Steve Crabb, the Texas Tornado from Dallas, Texas, who always shares with us his nominee for the most embarrassed team in the National Football League. From the results that we uh encountered last week and his nominee is the tech tennessee titans a football team that uh when i wrote them up in the my write-up in the playbook football newsletter, sometimes when you're doing write-ups you're running where to begin i had no problem of where to begin with the tennessee titans because i admitted this, that's the football team that has given me absolute fits this football season here from the beginning of the football season, when they were winning games with smoke and mirrors to the point where it looked like they were finally going to become a legitimate team and didn't show up for the party, uh, this doesn't matter what the Tennessee Titans teams does. <clears throat> I'm, I've been on the wrong side of them all season long. I would maybe con confirm with Steve's nomination. Who is your take, Victor, for the most embarrassed team in the NFL this week? Actually, I agree with you on Tennessee, and I also might throw in there the fact that they got embarrassed on Thursday night home football, and that would be the New England Patriots, who had a really bad offensive game, only 242 offensive yards in that home game against Buffalo. They lost by two touchdowns in the game, only 60 rushing yards, only 182 passing yards. They're finally uh, admitting that perhaps the wrong guy has been calling offensive plays in New England all season long. And, in fact, Bill Belichick addressed that issue in his post-game press conference, mentioning the fact that, well, it's a little too late in the year to change now, isn't it? Wow. That's a that's a shame because it's a Bill Belichick football team that's in the hunt for the National Football League playoff picture. And, in fact, I believe right now they are just on the outside. They're the number eight seed in the AFC. Uh, so whether or not they'll be able to put it together or not and crash the party remains to be seen. But we sort of saw that, Victor, uh, you know, with the – preseason how uh, vanilla they were they were and it didn't change at any at all throughout the course of the regular football season so i'm sure between now and next year we're going to see changes there that way the question is will we see them between now and the end of the football season one other quick note victor before i hand it back over to you is uh interesting note here that i came across this week uh, about two quarterbacks in the national football league one of them is san francisco losing jimmy garoppolo uh, what appears not to be season ending. The word is now that uh, that he, he will recover and be back in time for the playoffs, maybe even a week or so before that, which is really, really good news for San Francisco. But I came across this staggering stat on San Francisco that I heard on uh, NFL on Sirius Radio. Kyle Shanahan in games when Jimmy Garoppolo has been a starting quarterback is 38-17. and 17. In games when Jimmy Garoppolo has not been his starting quarterback, he is 9-29. I would sort of think that 
Purdy, Brock Purdy might fit more the latter category than the first category. <laughs> I don't know what San Francisco is going to do, but I do know this. They did not put a claim in on Baker Mayfield, okay, when everybody thought that he would be the logical fit there. In fact, only one team put a claim in on Baker Mayfield, and that was the L.A. Rams, surprisingly. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, he's going to be making – don't feel sorry for him. He's going to be pulling down $250,000 a week from now until the end of the season with the L.A. Rams. So they're not going to be hurting for Christmas prizes or presents this or this uh, holiday season here. The Mayfield family won't be. And Baker Mayfield is also the first quarterback in the National Football League who was the number one overall pick that will be starting games for three teams in five years. There's just something not right going on there with Baker Mayfield. I don't know what it is, and I hope that maybe he gets it turned around because the Rams desperately need his services from now till the end of the season here. That was my little passing comment on what I saw in the National Football League last week. Anything, Victor, you'd like to add? Well, in terms of uh, dogs, favorites, uh, home teams, road teams, uh, a good week for favorites last week in the NFL. Week 13, 10 and 5 ATS for favorites, including 6 and 2 against the spread for home favorites. It's actually been a very good two week period for home cooking in the NFL. 21 and 10 for home teams in the last two weeks uh, of the NFL. That's 68%. Overall for the year, still been a good year for the underdogs. They've gone 101, 86, and 7 against the spread. That's right around 54, 55%. The um, best situation has still been the division dogs, who have gone 36, 23 on the year. That's 61%. And division dogs who are losing teams less than 500. These have been the real teams that have been profitable. They've actually gone 20 and 6 ATS on the season, with three of them going this week. Uh, in terms of totals, another week with more unders than overs. That was week 13 in the NFL. This low scoring 2022 season is basically showing no signs of any sort of a uh, market correction. Uh, seven overs, eight unders last week. Uh, only two out of 15 games had 54 or more points, while there was uh, eight games that had 41 or less points to drive those averages down. For the season right now, there have been 85 overs, 109 unders, one tie, the low average of only 43.8 combined points per game. And again, that's a full six points less than that historic high-scoring season of 2020 in which uh, NFL games averaged more than 49 points per game. And, Mark, one more thing about NFL division games. Uh, they were uh, four out of six of them went under the total last week. That's division games. And I did a little bit of a deeper dive in this week's uh, totals tip sheet newsletter. Uh, so, as you can see, the, the, the season numbers are now 22 overs, 37 unders in division games. But even more important, it's the outdoor division games that have gone under the total at such a high, high percentage. Uh, so basically, we went into our database. We created a set of division games for this particular season. We removed any home teams who play their games in a true dome, like uh, the Falcons, Lions, Colts. Raiders, Chargers, Rams, Vikings, and Saints. 
Then we eliminate the three teams who play their games in a retractable roof stadium, and that would be Arizona, Dallas, and Houston. So now we're in true NFL outdoor division games. This season, only nine overs, 26 unders. It's an under percentage of 74% for all division games played in true outdoor stadiums. And guess what? There are six such games going this week. So be careful if you have any intentions on going over the total in any of those outdoor divisional games in week 14. I'm going to study those for sure this week, Victor. I can tell you that. That's a great number, great research, and great stuff to be looking at this week on the football card. You said you hit on it in the total tip sheet a little bit this week? Yes. we got a good uh, page three article, our deeper dive into the division games. Uh, again, required reading if you're a totals better. Well, I would encourage everybody, obviously, to download a copy of the totals tip sheet this week, not only for that great expose that Victor just told our, everybody about, but also everything inside the totals tip sheet, which had a really nice week last week. Before we switch over to what will be our NFL featured game of the week this week, as I always do on the show, I want to bring everybody up to speed with the current playoff picture. And we're getting closer and closer to the big date. And as we're doing just that, there's a new number one seed in the AFC as we go into this weekend. It's the Buffalo Bills, the former number one seed holder who slipped a few notches. In fact, they were number five last week. But uh, with Kansas City losing and Buffalo winning, they're up to the number one seed now. Buffalo is along with Philadelphia on the NFC side of things. The Eagles have been in that spot all season long. Number two seeds, Kansas City drops down a notch along with Minnesota over on the NFC side of things, who's barely holding on, the Vikings right now. It's kind of rare to see. We talked a little bit about it before with Andy Isco about uh, the Minnesota Vikings being a home dog to Detroit, yet they're the number two seed in the NFC. We can maybe talk a little bit about that more when we bring Andy Isco onto the show. Number three seeds, the Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers. The number four seeds are the division leaders, Tennessee and Tampa Bay, not by record, but by because of the fact that they're leading their division. Number five seeds are Cincinnati and Dallas, followed by number six seeds, Miami and the New York Giants. And rounding it out, number seven seeds, the New York Jets and the Seattle Seahawks. Keep those in mind when you, before you make your plays this football or this NFL football weekend. I'm sure one or two of those will help put you more into the winner's circle just by knowing that information. As I mentioned, you're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's popular sports handicapping talk show. Victor, before we get to the NFL game of the week, let's talk a little bit more. Maybe we'll touch on the college football bowl games. I'd like to ask you maybe your initial impressions, your thoughts on the college football bowl card this year and any kind of uh, thoughts you might want to pass along to our uh, viewers and our listeners out there about the upcoming bowl games. Well, uh, my first impressions are we always look at the game from a uh, totals perspective. And there are five bowl games with high over underlines of more than 65 points. Uh, the highest game is right now currently the Holiday Bowl with North Carolina taking on Oregon at 71 and a half. Caution, though, there's a very, very good chance uh, that that game might not even be played. Uh, again, you mentioned talking to Andy before the podcast, and Andy mentioned that North Carolina may not even have enough players in the game to justify a trip out to the Holiday Bowl. So that bowl game might very well be canceled. It'll certainly go down in terms of the over-underline 
It looks like freshman quarterback sensation Drake May is probably not going to play in the game as he could be one of the, I believe, eight quarterbacks in the ACC conference that have entered the transfer portal and will not be playing in their bowl game this season, therefore making our bowl handicapping even more difficult. But that was the Holiday Bowl at 71 and a half. The New Mexico Bowl is currently at 71 with BYU taking on SMU. Uh, Texas Bowl with Mississippi and Texas Tech has a high over underline of 70 points. And then we got the Liberty Bowl at 69 with Kansas taking on Arkansas. And finally, the Alamo Bowl with Texas taking on Washington from the big, uh, excuse me, Pac-12 conference, 68 and a half. Uh, we've got about four or five very low over underlines. Uh, there are six games with low over underlines, less than 45 points. And the king of all those bowl games has got to be the Music City Bowl, Iowa and Kentucky. The over underline is now... Uh, at a low 32, I've never seen a bowl game with a line this low. And guess what? It's going to go down into the low, excuse me, the high 20s. I wouldn't be surprised if this game went down to 29 or 28 points with Iowa taking on Kentucky. We already know about Iowa, the fact that they can't score, the fact that they got a great defense. Well, we just found out today that Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis, will not be playing in the game either. Wow, so there you go. That line's going to go into the high 20s, and we have never seen anything like that in a bowl game. But a couple of other low over-under lines, the Myrtle Beach Bowl featuring Connecticut and the great defense of Marshall. That's at a low 41 points. And then a couple of bowl games that will be played in the Northeast where there might be bad weather. It's not surprising that they have two of the lowest over-under lines. That's the Pinstripe Bowl. Minnesota versus Syracuse, only 42 and a half. And then finally, the Fenway Bowl with Louisville taking on Cincinnati in a game that's got a theme all its own where uh, we could have uh, one team's coach coaching the other team by the time all is said and done in that game. <laughs> and the over-under line is currently at 44 in that one. Uh, one more thing, I, I uh, also grabbed this out of the database, and I just went back three years. 2019, 2020, and 21, the last three years uh, worth of bowl games, there are some interesting over-under numbers in regards to the Big 12 Conference. In the last three years, Big 12 bowl favorites, seven overs, only one under. There are two of them going this season. You want to take a look at the Big 12 bowl favorites in the potentially Armed Forces Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. But on the flip side of things, Big 12 Bowl underdogs in the last three years have gone zero overs, nine unders. And guess what? There are six games this season in which the Big 12 team will be an underdog. We'll let you take a look at that. So, again, Big 12 Bowl favorites, seven and one to the over last three years. Big 12 Bowl dogs, 0 and nine to the under. A lot of great stuff, Victor King, from the database about the college football bowl games. A lot of that you'll read inside the college bowl stat report. Victor puts together quite a uh, compilation together here for the conferences and uh, the trends and the records and so forth and whatnot. You'll want to read all about that in the college bowl stat report. Victor, when you mentioned the Iowa-Kentucky game and you were talking about it's at 32, it's going to go down to 29, I thought you were talking about the temperature of the football <laughs> game. <laughs> Not the points, Red. My goodness. 
I've never seen anything that low in my life. We thought it was low when uh, Iowa in the regular season had uh, over underlines of 35 to 40, and we thought that was low. Guess what? We're at a different level here oh with a game God. that could literally fall into the 20s. Wow. Well, my bold thoughts are this. First of all, anybody watching or listening to the show does not want to make a move on the bowl games this year until you get a copy of our Playbook College Bowl Stat Report in front of you. It's the best publication in the country, 29 and 12 on all sides in the bowl games last, all sides in the college football bowl games last year. Log on to playbooksports.com, order your bowl stat report and have it ready. We're hoping to have it early next week. Wednesday's our deadline date. We might try to push it out Monday or Tuesday. We're going to do our best to work on it over the weekend. But that's my first thought. I wouldn't make a move without that bowl stat report. My other thoughts about the college football bowl games, my initial thoughts is Victor hit on it, transfer portal misery. And that's exactly what this is, TPM. It With these players transferring out, it makes it ridiculously hard, difficult to handicap these teams with their quarterbacks leaving. Not only their quarterbacks, we're talking – some of their best players in their team, they're leaving because they're talented, uh, they're unsatisfied. They, they may feel there's larger NIL money somewhere else than they're getting right now. That's another factor, too, Victor. They don't leave right. just because right. of the starting. They're leaving for the money, okay? Right. So, you know, that all adds into the, into the complex mixture. Plus, the coaches, the head coaches that are leaving the football programs. Jeff, or Victor mentioned Jeff Satterfield leaving Louisville, going to Cincinnati. They're playing one another in a bowl game. You know, what's he going to do? Well, he announced today that he's not going to be coaching on either side of the football game. He's just going to wish the best of luck to both teams. But you have to watch and see where these coaches, whether or not they're going to be with their team, are they leaving their team? So there's a whole lot of homework to be done before you even think about making a play early in the bowl games. Before it used to be you would make your bowl plays early because you kind of had a feel for the games all season long, especially if you charted the teams, you charted the stats, you knew exactly what you had with each bowl team, but you don't know what you have right now because of this transfer portal issue, because of the coaches leaving here. So it's imperative that you do your homework before you do just that. The other thing I want to mention here is two other factors that I think are paramount to success in college football bowl games. Number one, bowl handicapping 101. You want to back teams that are thrilled to be in a bowl game and they're taking on an opponent that is disappointed to be in that bowl game. And there's a lot of them. You'll find them. You'll find a lot of these group of five teams that made the bowls. They they tried their hardest. They became bowl eligible at six and five, and they pair up against a seven win, perhaps a power five team who's really disappointed because he had visions of bigger bowl games. Look for those. Those are really, really gifts from the bowl gods. The other thing is, as Victor mentioned before, Look for those teams that are closing out the season with a lot of momentum. South Carolina, Victor calls out before, because that momentum really spills over into the bowl games. And if it's also late momentum where it wasn't all season long, they're not overpriced. Uh, you know, I don't think you're going to find South Carolina anywhere near being overpriced because they'll be based more on their body of work for the season as opposed to how they close the bowl games out. Those are my initial thoughts when it comes to handicapping the bowl games. You can read a lot more about the bowl games in the weekly playbook football newsletter. And as I mentioned before, get your hands on a copy of that playbook bowl stat report. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, Victor, let's hop over to our National Football League game of the week. And we've got another nice card on tap in the National Football League this week. A lot of matchups. 
with winning teams playing one another, a lot of matchups with potential playoff teams playing one another. We've got just that, a division battle in the AFC East when the Buffalo Bills play host of the New York Jets. This is a replay from earlier in the year when the Jets stunned Buffalo as a 10-point dog. Victor, how do you see this game shaking out on Sunday? Right, Jets and Bills. Let me take a quick look at the line. We're somewhere in the 43.5 to 44-point range, and I like that line right there where it's at because I am going to be leaning over in this particular game. So that's going to be our target number, 43.5. We would therefore cash a W uh, just in case this one would finish on one of those key numbers in the NFL of 44 or 45. Uh, the again over underline 43 and a half right now. I've seen the weather report for Buffalo. The conditions might not be ideal. There's potential light rain in the forecast. We're not going to let that worry us. I mean, it's Buffalo. They got a great offense. They've had many home games in which they've scored a lot of points. Uh, we'll call it a free play on the over. We've certainly got enough over under uh, ammunition from the database to justify any sort of rating. But first off, we've got to talk about that New York road game against the Vikings last week, a game in which the Jets dominated Minnesota statistically. I mean, absolute dominance. They outyarded the Vikings by 200 yards in the game, 486 to 287. The Jets did. I know they lost, but they were driving for that winning touchdown. Remember, at the end of the game, Mike White threw for 366 passing yards to go with his 315 the previous week. So it looks like New York has the right guy at the quarterback position. And in that Vikings game, uh, the Jets drove into Minnesota's red zone seven times. They ran 25 total offensive plays in the red zone, but they only came up with one touchdown, five field goals, and then, of course, that final play, where he was intercepted at the one-yard line to end the game. That game could have very easily had a lot more points, particularly on the New York Jets' side. So, I mean, the law of averages alone suggests that we could very well see a uh, what they call a positive points regression, more points than anticipated for the Jets this week as they take on the Buffalo Bills. And on the flip side, uh, it's a good thing for us that this is not a road game for Buffalo. That's because they've got a true 0-7 over under this season in their true road games. All seven of them have gone under the total. They've averaged only 23 points per game on offense in these road games. But the Bills have averaged 10 points per game more at home this year. That's 34 points per game on offense, 49 combined points per game at home. And with Buffalo off a Thursday road game, uh, we'll be delighted to play in a hot recent high-scoring pattern in the last four years. NFL home teams off a Thursday division road game like the Bills have gone a perfect 9-1 and one to the over when the over-under line is 47 or less. Uh, in that game last Thursday, we touched on it briefly at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Buffalo beat New England 24 to 10. In the last two years, NFL teams off a straight-up road favorite win in which they scored 24 or more and allowed 10 or less. That's the Bills. 
They've gone a perfect 6-0 and to the over. Um, this will be Buffalo's second of three straight division games in a row. And this has gone 11-1 and under since 2015. Home favorites of greater than five points playing in the second of three straight division games. That applies to the Bills. And if you remember the earlier meeting this season, the final score was 20-17. to The Jets pulled off the shocker at home against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, again, we know from the database that Buffalo has gone 9-1 and to the over in the last 10 years when they're playing at home with single division revenge like they are in this one. Again, Mark, we're going over in the game. We're not going to worry about the weather. Let's make sure we get in at a nice line of 44 or less points. But, yeah, we've got no problem playing the Jets and Bills over the total this week in Buffalo. Victor looks to go over that total in the Jets-Bills game in this rematch on Sunday in Buffalo, where, as I mentioned earlier, in New York, the Jets pulled the rug out on the Bills as a double-digit home dog just five weeks ago. This will, in fact, be the first home game for Buffalo since November 13th, largely because they had their home game rescheduled, if you will, if you remember that, when they had to play in Detroit because of that uh, mammoth snow that hit Buffalo, the Buffalo area. That was back when I was up in Cleveland, and thankfully I just missed that <laughs> all that snow that happened up in Buffalo. But nonetheless, this is their first home game since November 13th for the, uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Looking at their numbers, inside their numbers here, what I see here from my midweek alert newsletter, our midweek alert newsletter, is a team that has really slipped defensively. When I'm saying that they slipped defensively, you go back the first four games of the season, the Buffalo Bills had the number one ranked team in the National Football League in total team defense. Coming to this football game, they're the number 10 ranked team in overall total team defense. That's quite a fall, if you will, over a two-month period for a team that was the best defense in the National Football League. The Bills have also struggled in this particular role, just one and six to the spread when they're in the first of back-to-back -back home games. Now, here enters the New York Jets, a football team that has dominated the series this last seven games. They've won and covered six of those football games. And they're also, uh, I should say, they've won and covered six of those last seven games when Buffalo's off back and win, as is the case in this particular football game. The Jets come into this football game also 5-0 and to the spread their last five games when they're coming off a straight-up and point spread loss. Victor mentioned the fact that in that game that last week with the New York Jets when they out-yarded Minnesota by 199 yards in the contest here, there was no garbage yards in that game. That was just They just flat-out outplayed Minnesota in the football game. In fact, they put up a season-high 486 yards of offense in that football game, did the Jets. And if you look in the midweek alert newsletter this week, and this is a great handicapping tool, we have a section in there in the stats called Rescore. And what the Rescore on football teams is basically this. It's, if you follow baseball, it's much like the fielding independent numbers, where the fielding independent numbers in baseball, they'll recalculate a pitcher's uh, rating based on the fact that there were no errors behind him and the fact that it was just exactly what the pitcher should have gotten for his effort. The Buffalo Bills, I'm, I'm sorry, the New York Jets, for their effort against Minnesota, the rescore on that football game last week would have been 32 to 19, the Jets winning the football game. I look at this Jets football team to wrap it up. They've held eight opponents to fewer than 300 yards this football season here. There's only one other team in the National Football League that could make the same statement 
That's the number one ranked team in overall defense, the San Francisco 49ers. That's a pretty strong statement for the Buffs. Also, under head coach Robert Saleh coming in this football game, in his career, when he's taken on quality opponent, 666 or better, the Jets under Saleh have won five of those eight games straight up on the scoreboard and gone six and two against the spread. They're not going to be intimidated by Buffalo here. They know they can play with them. They went toe-to-toe with them in New York. They won the football game. And you have to you have to become convinced that this is not the New York Jets football team that we've really snickered about in the past. This football team is for real, guys. I'm going to play them plus the points. They're going to likely be, again here, a double-digit dog in this contest here. Give me the New York Jets plus the points for my side in the football game. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. It's time for one of our favorite segments in the show as we hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. Andy, how are you doing and how's everything going in Vegas these days? Mark, I'm doing fine. I hope all is well at uh, your end down in South Florida with Victor as as well. And I heard your uh, commentary on the Jets-Buffalo game. That may be the most intriguing game of the week. Of course, uh, we learn now that uh, Von Miller, the uh, stalwart defensive player for Buffalo, is out for the season, which could help the Jets' offense a little bit. And at the same time, you know, Buffalo came into the season as this juggernaut. Everyone had him in the Super Bowl, and they came out with great intensity, and then they went into a little bit of a lull. I'm wondering what happens this week. Now that they control their own destiny as far as the number one seed is concerned, maybe they say, hey, we now have everything in our hands. And, of course, the fact that they are one and two now in division games after that win in uh, New England, of course, they also have a game next week uh, against Miami. So that makes that a very, very intriguing game. But, yeah, the Jets' defense is for real. And it looks as though Mike White, uh, the the players clearly – uh, show a great preference for him. I think a lot of it is due greatly to some of the negative statements that uh, a former starter and top draft choice uh, from last year, Zach Wilson, made. But nonetheless, I think that uh, a lot of great games this week, I think that may be the most intriguing. I think it is too, Andy. Uh, you know, simply from the standpoint of who they are, not who they used to be. It's what the teams are here right now this year. And they're, they're both high-quality football teams and both playoffs deserving for sure. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, where every week Andy brings us up to speed on what's going on in the major contest in Las Vegas. And Andy, if you would do that, if you do the honors, and let us know what's happening in those major contests in Vegas, what happened next week. Sure. Let's take a look first at the uh, classic super contest at the Westgate. At the top five selections, the consensus coming into last week, uh, they were a rather mediocre yet still profitable 33-26-1 for uh, just a shade under 56%. Now, the uh, five selections last week were the Titans, the Lions, the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Dolphins. The Lions and the Raiders both covered, whereas the Titans, Chiefs, and Dolphins did not, making for a two-and-three week for the consensus. Uh, bringing the 13-week results to a still profitable, but getting closer to break even, going in the wrong direction, 35, 29, and 1. That's 54.6%, so a shade under 55% through 65 picks. The standings through the uh, through, through week 13, we have one contestant uh, in the lead hitting slightly under 71%. He's got 46 out of a possible 65 points. That's 70.6. 
good enough for a half point lead over one contestant in second, who is the only other contestant above 70. Or, sorry, he's actually at exactly 70 percent. And then it drops down. Now, the uh, contest pays the top 30 in ties. And right now, uh, those who are tied for those final paying positions are hitting 63.8%. So uh, it's getting a little bit more close to the old days when you had about 500 contestants and the winner might hit 65, 68%. And 60% would normally get you. At that time, they only paid the top 20, but 60% would normally get you somewhere in a tie for that. So uh, it, this indicates to me that the players as a whole are having a much more difficult season than over the past few seasons. Looking at the uh, Super Contest Gold, that's the uh, $5,000 entry fee, winner take all, uh, five selections again each week against the point spread, uh, similar to the Super Contest Classic. In fact, they use the same lines. 80 contestants signed up, so it's a prize of $400,000 to one uh, lucky individual. I do believe they have a tiebreaker that goes down several levels before it would be shared if more than one contestant ties. But right now, uh, you've got a contestant with 45 out of 65 points. That's 69.2%, and that's good enough for a two-point lead right now over another contestant who is in second, and one point further behind that contestant is a, is the a solo contestant in third. So the field starting to stretch it, itself away, but there's still 25 picks remaining with five weeks to go in the season. Though That contest could tighten up a little bit more. Uh, also now looking at the Golden Nugget, which combines college and NFL, and of course it now uh, uh, becomes more of a challenge for those who have been strictly sticking to mostly, if not entirely, college football selections. Uh, they do get a side and, uh, in the uh, Army-Navy game this week, but that's the lone college selection available before we start uh, the bowl season. And in this contest, because you've got college and pros combined, it's seven selections per week. So they've made a total of 91 selections. And there's one contestant with a half-point lead hitting 63.7%. This contest pays the top 20 and ties. Actually, top 10 con uh, contestants. Uh, end up making money over the $1,000 entry fee, 11 through 20, assuming there are only 20 uh, that qualify at that certain point level, they would get their $1,000 entry fee refunded. If there's more than 20, then they'd get a little bit less than that because let's say there are two people tied uh, in addition, so 12 would tie, they would, uh, get a, uh, they would each get one-third of uh, a $1,000 entry fee if there were three people tied for that 20th place. Anyway, to be in position to be cashing something, meaning you're finishing in the top 20 or ties, right now 57.1%, so only a 6% spread between the 63.7 that leads and a 57%, which uh, considering the contest and the number of games to choose from, once again, uh, somewhat surprisingly low uh, to be cashing. Uh, but then again, we've seen a remarkable number of upsets uh, this, uh, this season in college football. Uh, finally, turning to what has now become the most popular contests in uh, Las Vegas uh, over the past few years, with uh, almost 4,700 entries, the Circa Millions Contest, which is fashioned after the Super Contest at the Westgate, five selections per week against the spread. The five top teams uh, selected in the Circa Millions this past week, Lions, Titans, Giants, Chiefs, and Dolphins. Uh, 
The Lions and Giants both covered their point spread. The Titans, Chiefs, and Dolphins did not. So it was a two and three week for the consensus. Coming in, the consensus was barely over break even at 53.3%, 30, 26, and four. And they're getting right at about break even right now, 32, 29, and four. So if you eliminate the tie and you follow the consensus each week, you are, I do my quick math here. 0.1 0.1 unit of profit. So uh, <laughs> I would think we might expect a better performance down the stretch. Of course, with and, and one of the things that we have this year, and we've had the last few years, both in the Westgate and the Circa, mini contests. So if you're out of contention for the entire contest, you still have chances throughout the various portions of the season to cash a prize. And we're talking sometimes 50 to 70 to a hundred thousand dollars for the four week, or in the case of the Westgate six week and three week contest. So we may have more people participating in the final few weeks of the season than we've had in the past when a number of contestants who are hopelessly out of it, uh, don't uh, bother even submitting selections. Uh, Having said that the uh, leader in the contest only one contestant over 70 percent and that contestant is a solo contestant with 46 and a half out of 65 points that's 71.5 percent that's good enough for a one and a half point lead over three contestants tied for second and finally they do pay the top 100 and ties and right now there are 26 contestants battling i think it's for 15 payoff spots uh uh or, or a little bit more than that but in any event 62.3% is right now uh, the number that you have to be hitting to at least get some sort of payday at the end of the contest. And now we turn to the Survivor Contest, which has had a lot of turnover this year, a lot of eliminations, but over the last couple of weeks, as we narrow it down, uh, most of the contestants have been advancing. In fact, we saw last week, which was the double week, Thanksgiving week, where you had the uh, contest for the games on Thursday and then the games on Sunday. Uh, you had only one contestant. Uh, I'm sorry, you had uh, three contestants out of 74 eliminated. That put it to 71. This week, uh, only one contestant was eliminated of the uh, 71 that were remaining. The Browns, Seahawks, Cowboys, Ravens, and Jaguars were all selected by the team, the contestants, the entries that advanced. The one entry, I'm sorry, and the Vikings. Let me repeat that. Browns, Seahawks, Cowboys, Ravens, and Vikings advanced. One contestant selected the Jaguars. They were eliminated. So we're down to uh, 70 out of a uh, little bit over uh, 6,000. Uh, 133 actually to be exact. So we're talking 1.14%, which is a very slightly higher percentage than remained at this time last year when 23 of 4,080 remained alive or about half a percent. So we're getting down just five weeks to go uh, to, uh, and actually six contest weeks because you do have, again, that split on Christmas week where you've got uh, Thursday and uh, I believe it's Thursday and Saturday and then uh, I think it's four games Sunday and Monday of uh, Christmas Day and the day after. Uh, so things are getting tight. Again, this is the fourth season of the contest. We've had perfect records in the first three years. Uh, it might change this year, but last year they had uh, five. Uh, we've got 70. And again, right now, uh, last year at this time, 23. Right now you've got 70. So there's still a good chance, depending upon the teams that are available, because uh, you can only select a team once, that we may once again have one or more perfect contestants sharing in a $6 million, little over $6 million winner take all quote, uh, last man standing, actually, uh, plus ties. 
And uh, if uh, one of those uh, contestants goes perfect and has not used either of last year's Super Bowl teams, the Rams and the Bengals, and right now, if you haven't used the Rams, you're in pretty good shape because no one thought they'd be as struggling as much as they are. Bengals still might be a, a team that people need to save them in the closing weeks. Uh, you might have a number of people sharing in that $1 million extra bonus that would be added to the uh, $6.1 million jackpot. Andy, a little bit surprising in the Survivor Contest in that we haven't seen that many eliminations here the last uh, couple of weeks or so, two or three weeks, much like the bevy of turnover that we saw early on uh, when the waters were real turbulent. What do you attribute that to, uh, the fact that uh, that a lot of teams have already used their bullets? and Why is it not eliminating players at this late stage of the game? I think that's part of it. I think we've also seen a lot more form over the last few weeks with the better teams uh, winning a number of games. But I think a lot, as you mentioned, has to do with availability. And so teams that may have lost within the two or three weeks that were upset victims, many contestants had already used them successfully earlier in the season. So right now, as I mentioned, we're through uh, uh, actually 14 contest weeks because of the double Thanksgiving week. So you've had to be still alive. Those 70 contestants have used 14 teams and they still have 18 to choose from. And again, you go back to the start of the season and where we are now. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that when we go over the, the line movements. A lot of teams that were expected to be stronger than they were are not as strong, may have eliminated some of those entries early, but also teams that have been surprise teams that may not have been considered to be used early in the season. Now that you're running out of teams and you thought, well, here are six teams that I likely won't use all season, maybe three of those teams are now having good enough seasons. Let's say the Jets, let's say the Giants, let's say Seattle, probably three teams that nobody considered prior to the start of the season that they would likely use except in an emergency all of a sudden, those three teams are now viable teams to fill out one of the last six uh, entries because you've got, again, those six contest weeks. Maybe those three teams will now be on some of these selections, especially if they continue their drives towards the playoff and they start facing teams that have shut things down, let's say, in weeks uh, 16, 17, and 18. Interesting to see how that chess match plays out in the Survivor Contest as we head down closer and closer to the final wire. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, you mentioned the advanced lines. And I know our listeners would love to know you do a nice, great job with these look-ahead lines. If you can share some of those with our listeners out there of what's on the card this week as opposed to what was out there earlier. Yeah, I'm going to do it really in, in a little bit of two parts because we are so deep into the season now. We're basically just over two-thirds of the way past that. It's still interesting to see, I talked to, about in that Survivor Rundown, about how teams have changed since the start of the season. And of course, we start off talking about these lines that were available at the Westgate, maybe other places as well, prior to the start of the season. For example, starting with the Thursday night game, Raiders at Rams, during the summer, the Rams, defending Super Bowl champions, were six-and-a-half-point home favorites in this game this week that you could actually bet on. This is not a mythical, hypothetical line. These were lines that were available throughout the, su the summer. When the 10-day advance line came out, which is a much more closer reflection of where things stand now, it had switched around to the extent that the Raiders were five-and-a-half-point favorites. That's a 12-point swing. Probably deserved. I'm not quite so sure it was as much deserved uh, as it is right now, we'll still see with the Raiders, although they're playing very well. And yet the money has come in on the Raiders. The Raiders are now up to six-point uh, road favorites in Thursday night's game. Dallas against Houston. 
Dallas was a modest 10-point favorite over the summer. I remember Dallas was coming off of a what, 12-5 and season, I think, last year, a playoff team. Uh, so they were highly regarded, and Texas was Texans were not highly regarded. They opened uh, the advance line at 14. They were reposted as 15-and-a-half-point favorites this past Sunday night, and they've been uh, bet up another half. Point. Actually, they reached 17 at one point. It's down a tick right now to 16-and-a-half. Uh, the Eagles coming off of their playoff appearance last year, two and a half points at the uh, New York Giants over the summer. Their success, and even with the Giants' success as well, when the 10-day advance line was posted, the Eagles were put in as six-point road favorites, so still a three-and-a-half-point adjustment, even with the significant improvement of the Giants this year. And uh, that has now been was reposted at six-and-a-half. It's been about up to seven. Tennessee against Jacksonville. Tennessee, a, a perennial a playoff team. I think they've made five out of the last six years or four out of the last five years as they seek another playoff season. They were seven-point home favorites against Jacksonville, even with improved Jacksonville and the rather mediocre statistics on the Titans, who yet still continue to win. They were down to three-and-a-half-point home favorites in the uh, advanced line, and that's where that line reopened on Sunday night, three-and-a-half, currently up to four. And as we learn more about the the status of uh, Lawrence, the uh, Jaguars quarterback, uh, this week, uh, there are some indications he might not be able to go. I would expect to see this Titans line go up a little bit, even if he does go, because the fact that he's dealing with an injury suggests he would be less than 100%. So I'm going to follow that one closely as well. Miami Dolphins uh, at the Chargers. Chargers were five-point home favorites over the uh, summer. The game opened two weeks or 10 days ago with the uh, Dolphins and Chargers a pick'em. However, after last week's results, the Dolphins three-point road favorites at the Chargers. So that's basically an eight-point turnaround from the summer, and that's currently where they remain. Another key game, Tampa Bay at San Francisco. Line over the summer made sense. Even in San Francisco, game was a pick'em. Uh, when the line was uh, put out 10 days ago, San Francisco was installed as a six-point home favorite. When the uh, line was reposted on Sunday night, we knew that Garoppolo was injured. We didn't know the extent of the injury, and yet the line was posted with the 49ers three and a half. I think the consensus was that Garoppolo, even if he was not totally injured. We now found out the broken foot will keep him out probably until the middle of January, so he might be available for the playoffs. We expected it was going to likely be he'd miss this week's game against Tampa Bay. So the three-and-a-half-point line made a difference based on Garoppolo not playing, and of course he won't be playing, and that's why that line, despite the confirmation of that fact that he won't be playing, remains at three-and-a-half. Uh, This one is another significant move, understandable, but it's a move in two parts. The Chiefs were one-point road favorites at Denver over the summer. When the 10-day advance line was posted, they were six-and-a-half-point road favorites. After this past week's action and the Chiefs uh, losing at Cincinnati and uh, Denver losing that tough game in Baltimore, the adjustment was made such that the Chiefs opened nine-point road favorites despite both teams losing close games, up from six-and-a-half in the advance line, nine-and-a-half right now. And the Patriots uh, game, Cardinals were three-point home favorites over the summer when the line was posted 10 days in advance. Patriots two-point road favorites. It dropped as low as Pickham when they reposted it Sunday evening. Patriots now back to one-and-a-half-point uh, uh, road favorites in next uh, Monday night's game. So a lot of action. It's I think it's interesting for those of us who 
and I, I believe you both do it, you and Victor do it, you keep records of what the line would have been before the season starts. As you update your power ratings, you update what the lines for the upcoming games are going to be. So it's interesting to see the significant adjustments and follow along throughout the season uh, that we've seen that last season, the mid, the summertime numbers are virtually meaningless right now, other than to give you an indication of how much improvement or decline the line makers have assigned to the uh, first 13 weeks of performance. Sort of like my wife, Andy, when she goes shopping and she comes home with this beautiful new blouse and tells me how much money she saved on it, what it was a month ago. <laughs> but I guess that works only a time or two, I believe. Yes, it does. Only a time or two. Exactly. <laughs> Just depends upon what time of the year or the season you're doing your shopping is really what it comes down to. We're visiting with Andy Esco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas doing a great job in the show once again, bringing us up to speed of everything that's going on in Las Vegas as we head into this weekend. And Andy, before we let you go, our listeners would love to know what you've got on tap for your complimentary play this week. Well, this is a game that I did not talk about in the uh, line moves. That's the uh, Bengals and the Browns. The Bengals were three-point home favorites over the summer. The 10-day advance line had them uh, as a four-point uh, home favorite. When it was reposted Sunday night, the line opened at three and a half. And currently, as we do the podcast, the Bengals have been uh, bet up to uh, six-point home favorites. Now, Cincinnati, in a critical part, in fact, what was considered to be the critical part of its schedule, with a chance to validate its deserved status as defending AFC champion, making it to the Super Bowl before losing to the Rams last season. So far, the Bengals have passed this test with back-to-back wins over teams that they eliminated in the playoffs last season, beginning first with a win at Tennessee two weeks ago, and then last week's home win over Kansas City. So those are two games that expect Spended a lot of energy, and you would think that it will take a toll at some point, that uh, uh, their, their performance will decline a little bit. But it may not be this week because this is another huge game for the Cincinnati Bengals on several levels. Number one, it's a huge revenge spot for the Bengals, who uh, lost badly on Halloween night at the end of October uh, at Cleveland, 32-13. to 13. Of course, Bengal wide receiver Chase was out of that game. He's back, and his presence strengthens the entire uh, Cincinnati uh, offense. And sometimes when you have such a strong and balanced offense as uh, the Bengals have, it also helps the defense as well, knowing that if they happen to make some mistakes, guess wrong in coverage, you've got the kind of offense that could come back. Uh, quarterback Burrow in that game was sacked five times, but in the four games since that uh, game uh, against Cleveland or at Cleveland that they lost, uh, he's been tacked a total of just five uh, uh, five times in the four remaining four subsequent games, all of which were wins and never more than twice in uh, in one of those games. Now I mentioned it's important on several levels for the uh, Bengals. They are tied with Baltimore for the division lead in the AFC North, and they'll host Baltimore in the season's final weeks as they see, week as they seek to avenge an earlier 1917 loss uh, in Baltimore. So they enter tied, and the game will, could likely the division could likely come down to that game, where if they remain tied and Cincinnati wins, well, they'll have split the season series, and they will end up uh, having a game advantage because they entered that game tied. Uh, Cleveland does have the better ground game. Cincinnati slightly better on defense, much better, however, in avoiding turnovers, despite some of the issues Joe Burrow had uh, early uh, in the season. Uh, another thing, and Mark, you'll appreciate this since uh, you love uh, uh, the sport of Kings horse racing, uh, Cincinnati's dropping in class 
this week after uh, facing the Titans uh, and the Chiefs, while Cleveland rises up in class after uh, facing uh, Houston. Uh, Cincinnati right now is clicking on all cylinders, overcoming what was an 0-2 start to win four straight currently and eight of their last 10. And the remarkable thing about uh, winning eight of the last 10, 9-1 against the spread in those 10 games, including one of those losses. Uh, perhaps in fact, the other loss was last week uh, uh, where they did not uh, – I'm sorry, where they did win. I was, I was thinking about Kansas City there. Uh, perhaps a letdown does occur on the road over the next two weeks. That, that letdown that you might normally have expected after playing the Titans and Chiefs. Uh, and I, I would think it might happen next week rather than two weeks because next week they're at Tampa Bay, which is a non-conference game. Uh, and the following week they're at New England, which is a conference game. But I don't think it happens this week. Now, I lost – uh, by going against Cincinnati the last two weeks, I was on Tennessee and I was on Kansas City. And I hope this is not the Sports Illustrated cover jinx, but I'm going to be on Cincinnati this week after being against them. And I've got them winning by uh, about 10 to 13 points. Andy Isco likes those stakes races that the Cincinnati Bengals have been knocking off here of late. He likes them to roll past the Cleveland Browns for his complimentary play on the football show this week. Andy, as always, a great job on the show. We're going to look forward to visiting with you and catching up next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Until then, I wish you nothing but the best of luck this week. Uh, thanks, Mark. I wish you, Victor, and all of our listeners and uh, viewers uh, the same good luck as I go out and start checking some of those price sales we talked about earlier. There we go. Happy shopping. <laughs> <laughs> that was Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And, guys, before I get to my awesome angle of the week on the show this week and mine and Victor's complimentary plays, we want to share with you a complimentary play from my good friend Jim Feist in Las Vegas, who, Colleen, my wife, and I had the pleasure of running into Jim and his wife, his beautiful wife, Roz, when we were out there. And we enjoyed just a fantastic time, had a great dinner. It was really good catching up with Jim. If you've enjoyed his complimentary plays on the show thus far this football season, you're going to love his hot hand, and I mean he's hot right now, on this week's card, you can get all the selections at playbooksports.com, or you can also check out his direct address. Go to, it would be pb forward slash buzz, B-U-Z-Z forward slash J-F, pb dot buzz forward slash J-F for all of Jim Feist's plays this weekend. And with that, Jim, I'm going to hand it over to you for your complimentary play on the football card this week. Thanks, Mark. This week we're uh, missing some college football games, so I'm going to go to the pros and talk a little bit about what's going on. Uh, the best team in football, in my opinion, was the San Francisco 49ers. Now they lose Jimmy Garoppolo, and they come in with a backup, which is they've lost their first quarterback, and now their second quarterback, and they go with uh, Mr. Irrelevant, Mr. Purdy. And... We don't know what to expect there, so I'm not going to say too much about that game, but it's very interesting. I still feel the Niners are one of the teams to beat in the NFC. In Sunday's matchups, we have two teams that have inferior records, win-loss records, that is, to their opponents, but they're favored. They're both at home. Ravens at the Steelers, Steelers are three. Vikings at the Lions, the Lions are two and a half. Now, you might say, well, how can that be? you got two teams with winning records, two teams with losing records, and the losing 
the teams with the losing records are favored. Well, that's what happened. The odds makers are telling you a lot by these numbers. I happen to like the Steelers here, and I'm giving that out as an official play right here on the website. Good coaching, good defense. The Ravens ran up against good defense last week with the Broncos. They won the game. A little bit of a miracle, but they won the game. They're a solid team, but they're not what everybody expected them to be. The Steelers, this is a division rivalry. I look for the Steelers to come to play and win this game. I would prefer it on the money line rather than laying any points, but be that as it may. The other game, the Vikings at the Lions. The Lions have been an offensive juggernaut. They can score. The Vikings, I don't know, they have a great record, an awesome record, but their statistics don't say that they should be winning as much as they're winning. I'm going to stay away from that game right here for this podcast, but I am going with the Steelers as a free play. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot, Jim. Great information as always. And with that, let's get to our awesome angle on the show this week. And it comes directly from our Playbook Weekly Football Newsletter. In fact, it's the awesome angle contained inside of this week's Playbook Football Newsletter. With just a little bit of a tweak from what we published. Pay close attention to the angle this particular week. We call it Our House. And what we're looking to do is to play against any single-digit home favorite during the regular season that comes in off consecutive home wins, meaning this is the third of three games in a row at home. They've won the first two legs, and they're facing an opponent coming off a loss or a win of four or fewer points. These teams that are playing in their house have struggled in this particular role by playing against these teams. Since 1990, we are 14-2 against the spread. That's a powerful 88% angle, which will play against the Jimmy Garoppolo-less San Francisco 49ers this week play against San Francisco for our awesome angle on this week's football show. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what is doing Victor in Tuco's world. And Victor, if you would, let our listeners know what you've got on tap this week as well. Sure thing, Mark. We can't forget about our playbook publications, totals tip sheet, midweek alert, playbook newsletter, you can get all three of this week's issues for 25 That's three for a quarter. And don't forget, I'm sure Mark will have something to say about the fact that our bold stat report required rating for all college bowl betters will be out the middle of next week as well. And for um, for our free play this week, we're going to give the ball back to uh, uh, King's best friend. Why not? Uh, Mark just introduced him. Uh, Tuco's play last week was a winner uh, on the podcast here, and we thank everybody who joined us as he played the Raiders to score over 24 points. They did just that, scoring 27 in their home win against the Chargers last week. Nicely done. So our boy Tuco is on a multiple-game winning streak. He's back to where he should be, and he's going to be doing double duty in a late afternoon West Coast game for the second week in a row. And this week, it'll be Tuco playing the Seattle Seahawks to score over 24 points as they host the Carolina Panthers in the late afternoon kickoffs. Now, this game opened at 23 and a half. We dove in as soon as possible, and we played our over at 23 and a half. It has since gone up to 24 
0.0 for the host Seahawks. And that is still definitely a good enough number to bet this team total over the total. I mean, after all, you're talking about a Seahawks-Panthers series that's gone a perfect 6-0 to the over in the last six meetings with the Seahawks averaging 29.7 points per game on offense in those games. And not only that, we have got the fact that Carolina comes in off a bye week, very well rested. Seattle has averaged 33.3 points per game as favorites when facing any opponent off their bye week. And of course, Carolina, in the last five years, they have allowed 27, 31, 52, 32, and 29 points in the last five years when coming in off their bye week. That's an average of 34.2 points per game playing against the Panthers when they are rested. And uh, also, you know, we can't ignore the fact that at home, Carolina, great team, great defense, but they've allowed 10 points per game more on the road this season, 27.0, than they have at home where they're only allowing 18.7 points per game. Of course, Seattle, you know what you're getting in Seattle. You're getting a top 10 offense. You're getting a top five quarterback. And they have basically busted loose big time uh, after, let's see, averaging only 15.6 points per game in the first month of the season. They're now averaging 30.1 points per game since week four in the NFL. And I know that Carolina comes in this game having allowed only 10, 13, and 15 points in their last three games. But I inputted that into the database, and here's what I get. NFL non-division home favorites have averaged 34.7 points per game against any opponent who allowed 15 or less points per game in each of their last three games. We got Seattle at least scoring 27 or more in this game against Carolina. So join Tuco, play the Seattle Seahawks over 24 points as they host Carolina on Sunday afternoon. And for our King Creole service, we'll have a four-star over of the week in the NFL. That will be available sometime on Thursday. Join us at that time. And I know, Mark, a lot of people are excited. Who you have for a best bet this week? knowing that you've gone 8-0 and in the last five weeks. I think you got a big one in the NFL. Well, I do, Victor. Thank you very much. Uh is going over that total in that Seattle football game. Ride the tail of Tuco into the winner's circle this week, and also be sure to pick up a copy of Victor's totals tip sheet newsletter. You'll be glad you did just that. Victor mentioned a big weekend I've got on tap this weekend, and that's the fact. We're using our NFL division play of the year. It goes Sunday. On a card filled with division football games, there's a lot of value, and there's one particular game filled with value. It's all part of another $79 weekend of winners from our late phone football service. You can go online at playbooksports.com to pick up our weekend of winners, or better yet, join me for our double 10-star December, where you get everything I do, all the bowl games and everything throughout the month of December at all college bowl games. You can check that out, our double 10 star December. It will include our NFL division play of the year as well. And I also would be remiss if I did mention that our good friends at mybookie.ag are still offering 
to our listeners out there, a double your first deposit bonus. Simply log on at mybookie.ag, use the promo code PLAYBOOK, and get your double first deposit bonus at mybookie.ag. Before I get to my top complimentary play on the card, I want to also tell our listeners out there about that bowl stat report. Victor mentioned it. We mentioned it earlier on in the show. It'll be the best move you make this football season. Check it out at playbooksports.com. And with that, we'll move on to my complimentary play on the football card this week. We're going to get the clothespin out, okay? Not all the plays in the cards are good-looking plays, but when you've got an asset in the football game that gives you the value in the game, we have to make a case for that, and we're going to do just that with the Denver Broncos when they dress up a double-digit home dogs against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. The Denver Broncos have always been good in the role of a division home dog. They've cashed five of the last six games, and Russell Wilson is struggling. Yes, we'll admit that. He's only 7-13 and 13 in his last 20 starts. But in those 20 starts, he was a dog 10 times, and he only lost the money three times. So he's been really good as a dog, even throughout the course of his struggles. Denver has been a home dog of more than seven points four times. They're 3-1 and one of the money in that particular role. They've been a double-digit division home dog against Kansas City only one time. They cashed that ticket as well. Back to Russell Wilson when he's a dog off back-to-back losses in his career. Six wins, zero losses. And you got the Denver Broncos 3-0-1 to the spread as a home dog off a loss in the series. Bring the Kansas City Chiefs in here. I know they're mad as all get out after that loss against of the Bengals last week, but the fact of the matter is they were geeked for that football game. That was the game they wanted most of any game this football season, and they didn't get it. Now, can they bring themselves back up to the level of the lowly Broncos this week? I'd rather doubt that. Look at Kansas City. The last 11 times they've been coming off of a non-division road game. They're just 1-10 against the spread. Bottom line to me in this football game, guys, is the Denver Broncos bring the number three ranked defense in the league into this contest. Kansas City brings a very soft rush defense into the game. They allow 4.4 yards per rush. That makes Denver the ugly Betty dog of the week. <laughs> we'll play the Denver Broncos <laughs> as a double-digit home <laughs> dog, as Victor suggests. <laughs> and that's going to put the final reps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread for our co-host Victor King from King Creel Sports, our good friend Andy Isco from theelogicalapproach.com in Las Vegas. This is Mark Lawrence. Remind you to always remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.